from that perspective. Don't hear this message as if I'm telling you what to do so God can accept you. You are already brothers, and we emphasized that last week. I didn't emphasize it enough because when Paul talks to the Thessalonian church and he says, we urge you, brothers, he is considering these people that he spent a little bit of time with as those who were born of the same family in the same family. These are his brothers and sisters. So they already have that family surname, Christ's own church. God is their father, just like God is our father today. So when you're already in, you don't get to do this so that you can be in the family. This is not an initiation sermon. You already are in it. You're already acting according to the new nature as a son and daughter of God. So don't hear this and say, hey, if I'm not, if I'm find myself to be the unruly, if I am the one that is faint-hearted, if I'm the one that is weak, and if I am the one that is included in everyone, which all of us are, then I must do these things so that God can be my father. God is already your father, and as a result, we get to see the different people in church. These are the four types of people, categories of people that are in church. There are some that are unruly. There are some that are faint-hearted or discouraged. There are some that are weak. And then there's everyone. Everyone is everyone, working backwards. And all of us have weaknesses. So it's a larger pool to draw from. We talked about this last week. And there are times in all of our lives that we are weak or faint-hearted or we're discouraged. But that's not a constant thing that happens in our life. We're not always discouraged perpetually. Every, every single second of our lives are not lived from a place of discouragement. So that's maybe a smaller pool in the church among us. And there's the unruly, the undisciplined, those that are evade obligations and responsibilities. And we don't do that all the time, at least not consciously. So that pool is a little smaller. We saw that last, last week, what the unruly are and also what God prescribes for the unruly. And here are the four prescriptions that we see in the church. All right, if you're unruly, you need admonishment. You need instruction, you need discipline, you need to be reminded kindly, lovingly to get back on track. If you are out of, uh, out of line, you need to get back in line. Someone needs to come and help you get back in line. That's what admonishment means. 
And if you're discouraged, if you're faint-hearted, if in your heart you can't find the courage and the, and, and, and the vitality that you need to be more like Christ in the church, God prescribes to his church encouragement. That is that assertive coming alongside and saying, hey, you got this, you can do this. Come on, let's do this together. We're on the same road. And last week I actually got too into the sermon, I guess, and I had a voice infliction where my voice just kind of just went loud and, and said something along the lines of, hey, wake up. You can do this. And somebody was taking a, a snooze and, and I missed and thought I was talking to him and he woke up. Um, that, was, that was the highlight of the sermon. There was another highlight of the sermon that I, I wouldn't want to uh, miss because I was reminded I used a Gen Z language. I said something like a bot. Um, and I don't even remember how I used it and what context I used it. So I have been re uh, required to use a Gen Z slang every week. Um, and I, I have not learned one that would be appropriate for today, but maybe if it comes to it, um, I'll, I'll try. But anyways, we talked about how God prescribes for his church encouragement for those that are faint-hearted. Those of us that are going through spiritual depression, we need to be encouraged. And the encouragement doesn't happen in osmosis. It doesn't happen by, by just random. Like you just, it just doesn't happen magically. So if you notice your fellow brother, your fellow sister in Christ, feeling discouraged about their spiritual walk. We ought to actually, we are the ones that are actually administering that, that encouragement. So you ought to also encourage one another, come alongside, to speak to someone in a friendly way, to console them, to encourage them. And we also started looking at those things whether it be the admonishment or the encouragement is not like the world's admonishment or encouragement because the world does give admonishment. We do get instruction from our teachers. We do get instruction from our bosses, instruction from people that, we, that don't know God, that don't know Christ. And people try to give us advice and people try to encourage us and everything else. But those things are very man-centered but the church's admonishment and encouragement are really Christ-centered. So if the reason why you, lack, uh, why you lack vitality and you're discouraged is because you lack assurance in Christ, Christ has already secured your assurance. If it's because you can't find the, the motivation to read your Bible or to pray, or to fight against sin, and there's no motivation, and there's this laziness. Christ is our example of diligence, and this is where we stopped last week because I was running out of time. So I just wanted to walk us through, because 
this is supposed to be the church's duty part three and it was supposed to be done in one sitting so um, now we're here let's take a look at the third look at what I did the third category of people in the church which is the weak Paul is talking about physical weakness right some of us have physical weakness some of us are not as strong as the gym bro in here right we don't all go but I don't think Paul is talking about just physical weakness and people that, that are physically weak, what do they need? They need help, right? But the word that he uses here, what Paul is referring to is weakness in terms of the capacity to understand. This is an ethical or spiritual weakness. Like how to live life. I lack strength in an area. That's really what weakness is, is a lack of strength. I I when, when you lack strength in the way that you pursue Christ-likeness. And if I asked every, to, to raise your hand, if you lack strength in how you pursue Christ-likeness, if we are honest, we, we all raise our hands, right? We don't have the strength in and of ourselves to be like Christ all day, every day. There is a weakness that is evident in our lives. It's, it's almost an intersection between being powerless to do something and having the inability to do something, right? That's the weakness we're talking about. We lack power to begin with. We have no power to be like Christ in and of ourselves. We have to admit that to ourselves. The Bible teaches us this truth over and over. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were dead and not trespasses and sins and last time I checked there's only one thing dead people can do right what can dead people do what can a dead person do if you say nothing you're wrong they can stink right a dead corpse can stink there's something they can do which is really worthless right so we lack spiritual power to be like Jesus Christ. Okay, we acknowledge that. Now, are we able to change that? Do we have the ability to change that in and of ourselves? No, we don't. Not only we lack power, but we are also unable to, to accomplish, or to fulfill what we lack. That is what it means to be weak. And we have that weakness happen to us over and over again. And they, those things express themselves out in, the, in, in, in our ethical conduct. That's 
actually doing the right thing. When it's time to make a decision to do the right thing, that's what ethics is. Right? How do you conduct yourself? And you know what the right thing is, and you find yourself not doing the things that you want to do, or you know you're supposed to do, or doing the things that you know you're not supposed to. And you go through this struggle because there's this weakness. And this is not just a weakness that people outside of Christ, people that are in the world, people that don't believe in Jesus Christ experience. Even as a Christian, even as a believer, we all experience this weakness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 and 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. He's admitting. This is after Paul talks about how we have been adopted by, by, by Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. And, and through the Holy Spirit, we can actually call out to God and say, Abba, Father. And we're, we're assured and we're like, okay, we're in. We're in the family. We're brothers and sisters. Okay. But still, the Spirit helps uh, our weakness. In what way? For we do not know how to pray as we should. So even when you want to pray, and this is actually, if we're honest, this is where most of us would notice our weakness. In our life of prayer. How good is your prayer life, by the way? Why aren't you, you know you're supposed to pray. You know prayer gives you power. You know prayer is communicating with God. And God communicating back to you. But you find it really, really difficult to pray. Even in your own, on your own time, when you first wake up or when you go to have a quiet time with Him. We find it difficult to pray in a congregational worship service. We close our eyes and then our mind is somewhere else. We close our eyes and then we start dreaming. Or we don't even close our eyes. We kind of just disengage until the person says in Jesus' name. And then we say amen. And then we... Even in that sense, we can see our weakness. And why is that? Because we lack power. And we like the, inability, the ability to, to do this as Christians. So when that happens, Paul says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we need help. We don't need manly help or we don't need help that is earthly. We don't need a lecture on how to pray. And here are, here's how to have an effective prayer, 10 steps to, to do this. No, Paul says the prescription of God is God himself. You notice this? He's very, very, very clear in that. God himself would have to give you his spirit, and his spirit would have to call out to God through you 
in order to even give you a powerful and necessary help in terms of prayer. And Paul also talks about in Romans 14, 1, that there, there is one that is weak in faith. Now accept the one who is weak in faith without passing judgment or opinions, he says. He's talking about how we deal with one another. So weakness is not something that we actually try to hide as Christians. Contrary to what you have been to taught in school and the world tells you, hide your weaknesses. Weakness is bad. Because the world is about survival of the fittest. And if you're not fit, if you're not strong, if you don't show your best foot forth and you pretend if you have to, if you don't fake it till you make it, then weakness, you don't want to show that vulnerability, that weakness. But Christ is our only strength for the church. We are weak. We don't hide it. Actually, Paul says, I boast in my weakness. Like, I actually posted on, on Instagram how weak I am. I TikTok about my weakness. Right? I don't know if that's Gen Z enough for you. Because in my weakness, God's strength is evident. So as a church, as a Christian, we don't hide our weaknesses. The Bible doesn't hide the weakness, the weakness of anyone. Like the greatest heroes in the Bible. Think of the, your favorite hero in the Bible stories. Like David. Oh, look at what he did to Goliath. Weak. Couldn't even go to war. Couldn't even keep his eyes to himself. The Bible doesn't hide that. If you were writing a movie, if, if ChatGBT was writing a movie um, script, you know, the hero always wins, right? And they try to hide the weaknesses of the hero and everything else. And this, at the end of the day, the hero comes up. But downplay the weaknesses. No. The Bible. Think of... Moses, Noah, Samson, all these heroes in the Bible, they have weaknesses. And the Bible doesn't shy away from it. Because all of us not only can relate to their weakness, but it's a pointer, it's, 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 it's a sign it's, it's like a street sign, an arrow pointing to all of you are weak. And there's only one that is not weak, who is God himself. And that God has come in the flesh and has put himself as sacrifice on your behalf. And has given you his identity. And through faith, you can live out his strength. So 
So as we examine ourselves and saying, hey, what are my weaknesses? Your weaknesses are not being identified as a church when we, when we notice weaknesses with one another and in one another. They're not identified so that we can point the finger and say, hey, look how strong I am. This is what Paul refers to in Romans 14.1. When you see a brother that is weak in faith now, what, do you, what should you do? Accept him as a brother. Now that doesn't mean, like, let him live in that weakness. That also doesn't mean, look at what he says, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. When you accept his weakness, you don't accept the brother's weakness, not to say, man, he's struggling with that sin. I was, I was over that sin when I was like a baby in Christ. It's like, oh, I don't do that. Or not even an opinion, not to go walk around and say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, some people say, not for that purpose. but to help. That's the prescription that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 14 verse, I mean uh, chapter 5 is definitely not 14 verses in 1 Thessalonians. So if you're looking for 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, you will not find it. Chapter 5 verse 14, what does he say to do for the week? Help. What does that help look like? What is, what is helping? What does he mean help? What he's talking about is when you see this ethical, spiritual powerlessness and inability in your brothers and sisters, you are to be devoted to come alongside them, to help them manage that weakness. They help them mitigate that weakness. They help them through that weakness. Not to help them hide it. Not to make them comfortable in that weakness. But to help them manage their weakness. How do we do that? Because we find a weakness, and the first thing we do is we try to identify with that weakness and try to make people feel okay. That's what the world teaches us to do, right? When you see somebody being weak, either tell them, hey, you're being weak, man, buck up. You got to get through this. Come on. You can't show any weakness. Tears? What are you talking about, tears? You're a man. Men don't cry. Are you being too emotional? Hide your weakness. That's what we are taught to do by the world. But what we're doing as a church, and week in and week out, what we strive to do from the pulpit, whether it's me or Kale, anybody else that fills the pulpit, anybody else that serves up here and puts the songs forth and sings it out loud or reads the scripture, is to help, to come alongside, because we don't know in this moment what everybody's going through. But each of you 
as a church, as we disciple one another, each of us, as we come together as brothers and sisters, we help one another. We come alongside and we are devoted. You notice that word. There's a level of devotion. This authentic care. Not this fake one where you kind of like, hey, how are you good? Uh, what, what can I do? And then you just go off and not even think about it. But is that possible? Are we naturally like that? Or do we just do small talk? If we are honest, in the church, that's essentially what happens, especially when we are young in Christ. We do the little small talk. We smile, we say the right things, we do the right things, and then we just fade into our own lives, our own weaknesses. So this too must be helped by God. This help has to come from God. The Holy Spirit has to be the one Who's doing this through us? I cannot do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. And the person sitting next to you cannot do it on their own because they're eventually, their weakness would also come forth. And it would overwhelm them. So we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Romans 8.26, the Spirit is the one who helps our weakness. It's not my sermons. It's not your Bible reading in and of itself. It's the Spirit Himself who helps our weakness. The Spirit Himself in John 14 is referred to as the Helper. Jesus says, I will send you a helper. The one that comes alongside and comes and stands with you. So the help has to come. Christian help is not world help or psychological help or just mere financial help. It's not just focused on the temporal realm. We want to help the soul of a person. Now, we don't want to overlook the needs, the physical needs of the person or the emotional needs of the person. But those things are just branches and leaves and fruits, symptoms, if you will. We want to get to the heart and help the heart. And we cannot help the heart. The Holy Spirit himself has to be the one who helps the heart, is the one who has the ability to help the heart. Because the world treats weakness by materialism, right? To hide your weakness by a bunch of stuff. If you own the latest phone or shoes or 
if you have all the brand names, Gucci, Prada, Louis Vuitton, all of them fill in the blank. And if you, if you live in a big house and drive a, a BMW, whatever, a Tesla, whatever, you, you, you buy all these things, then nobody would ever see you as weak. Okay, that doesn't apply to 99% of the population because I can't afford all of those things. No, just work on your self-esteem. Tell yourself, self, I am strong. I am beautiful. You know, affirm yourself. I can do whatever I want to do. My mind is the strongest thing in the world. Have a vision board and remind yourself of that vision board. And these things are not evil in and of themselves. So don't hear me say that, by the way. But work on your self-esteem. That's what the world treats weaknesses with. Materialism, self-esteem. Get your status up. Get as many followings. Get as many likes and double taps on, on Instagram and and, you know, and, and be the most popular TikToker, whatever. Apparently, they don't, they don't have, uh, like, like, cool clicks in, in schools anymore. Cool kids' clicks and stuff like that anymore. Or at least so I've been told. Be a part of that group. Be an athlete where everybody looks at you. Wear the varsity jacket. Walk around. So everybody knows. You're not to be messed with, because at the end of the day, you're on the basketball team, you're on the football team, and everybody kind of just walk down the hallway, and everybody's like, yo, that guy must have no weaknesses. Hide that under the, the guise of coolness and having the status. And that applies to adults, too. I just try to get as high on, on the pedestal and just have as much status as possible just be that guy. You know, be the top G. I haven't mentioned him in a while. So he's making an appearance again. Right? And if you're a top G, everybody wants you. Hide your weaknesses, though. It's all the guys. That's what the world treats this universal weakness because we all universally we, we we do have weaknesses none of us can say i have no weakness and the world treats it with self-esteem status materialism so forth but as a church We are to rely on the eternal helper. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And he's eternally a helper. He is the one that's pointing us to Christ. He's the one that drew you to Christ. He's the one that gave you new life and regenerated your dead soul and brought you to Christ so that you can see your weakness and say, I am weak. I am poor in spirit. And as a result, you received the kingdom. 
you entered into the kingdom of God. So we must rely on the eternal helper who searches even the deepest part. You can't hide, by the way. What can you hide from God? Can you try to hide from God your deepest weakness? You can't hide from Him. And He searches that deepest weakness, the deepest part of your hearts, and draws us in our weakness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ brings us to the Father. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to put this facade, this persona, so that God can accept you. Our boast as Christians is our weakness, because in our weakness, His strength is evident. And He helps us because He is eternally a helper. Are you weak? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4 and 6. And it's going back to what I started with, how we are brothers and sisters. We are part of the same family, right? Galatians 4 and 6. Paul says, And because you are sons, and you can put a parenthesis right there, and daughters, because you are children of God, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And this is only providential because today is Father's Day, right? You have an eternal Father that is not like your Father on earth. Who cares for the deepest part of your soul. That weakness that you hide from everybody. Even at times you hide it from your own self. Or try to at least. And he adopts you into his family. When? When you get your stuff together and come to him. The call of Jesus as we sang, and I wasn't here for the, for the singing of that, that song. We did come to the altar, right? Yeah. The Father's arms are open wide. Come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the call of Jesus Christ. Not come to me who you are strong and are able. You know, it's not like a draft pick. You didn't, you didn't go through a draft pick to get saved. You know, what happens in a draft pick, right? The number one draft pick is the highest prospect. Those of you that, that are into sports, you can explain to the other ones um, that are not into sports. 
you know, in the schoolyard, you play, you play a game and you're like, okay, I'm going to pick my top five. I'm pick, playing basketball. All right. Usually looking for the tallest guy, the most athletic looking guy or gal for that matter. That's, that's the one. And then who's the last to be picked? The short, awkward looking, maybe looks like a bookworm, right? It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that guy, nobody ever wants him. He's just on the team by default because he's the last guy and he just has to put the numbers, fill up the numbers. That's how the world picks. That's not how Jesus picks. Jesus comes and says, if you are weak, if you are weary, come. And you came. And you are sons and daughters of, of God. And when you, because you are sons of God and daughters of God, He sends forth His Spirit into your heart, and in your weakness you can call out, Abba, Father. And this is such an imagery of, like, Okay, maybe it's lost on us because we're all old and we don't, we don't get nightmares and we don't call out on them. But remember when you were younger and you had a bad dream? And you were in your room? Who'd you run to in the middle of the night? Who'd you call out to in the middle of the night? And this is a really imperfect illustration, but this is what Paul is saying. We have this perfect Father, and he, he puts His Spirit in us, and He gives us the Spirit of His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember what He said when He was weak? When Jesus was weak to the point where He was bleeding, He was sweating blood? At the time of his crucifixion? Remember that, that, that story? Who did he call out to? Remember Jesus Christ dying for our sin, stretched out on the cross, bleeding, showing all of his weakness physically. thirsty remember who he called out to you too brothers and sisters have that spirit in your weakness you can call out Abba Father that's what Paul is saying This is what, as a church, helping looks like. When you see a brother or sister being weak in the faith, you come and say, hey, you have this. It is our duty as a church, both locally and universally. For those of us who are strong, to bear the weakness of those without strength. That's 
Romans 15 and 1. Lastly, the fourth, I don't even want to touch this, the fourth group or category of people in the church. Everyone, Paul says. Everyone. Look around this room. Think of everybody that's not here today, but is part of the church. That's everyone. That's the full quantity, the full extent. It almost has the, if I were to bring that language, it's whoever and wherever. Whoever in whatever situation, that's who everyone is. It's whoever. Who's everyone in the church? Whoever. There's no qualification. There's no qualifying means by which we say, okay, oh, you're part of the everyone and you're not part of the everyone. No, this is everyone in the church. There's no distinction made by age or race or sex or spiritual maturity or gender, which is just the two, just to make sure that I had to slide that in. Two genders, right? Don't let this month fool you. Right? It doesn't matter. No distinctions made by that. No friend groups, no cliques, no my age group is like this. I'm, a col I'm in college, I'm in high school, I'm middle school, I'm after college, I'm married, I'm... None of that matters. Everyone is everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. This is an all-inclusive, again, I, I, I say, I don't mean the way that the culture tell, tells us to be all-inclusive. This is an all-inclusive language of those who are in the family of God. All of you who truly repented and trusted in Christ are included in this group. All of us are. If you confess Christ as Lord and as Savior, this applies to you. So as you do the self-examination we talked about last week, this touches all of us. That's everyone. And I really find it interesting how Paul saves this prescription to everyone. He doesn't say help everyone. He doesn't say instruct everyone or admonish everyone. He doesn't say encourage everyone, at least not in this context. Notice what he says. Be patient with everyone. And I think he does this on purpose. Because that word patience, and the reason I put that in parentheses in our outline, that needs to be our understanding of patience. That's the meaning of patience. The Greek word for patience displays this delayed impulse or long passion is what it actually means. Like your passion, it takes long for you to get passionate about something. And I don't mean it in a, in a positive way, but 
in a negative way or, or long anger, you can, you can translate it. Or your wrath. You know, this is an attribute of God. When Yahweh came down and showed himself to Moses in Exodus, he said he is slow to anger. Has the same connotation. He doesn't get angry all the like he doesn't have a short fuse. That's a, that's a term that we can relate with. When someone is short fused, it's like they're always on edge. All you got to do is just say one thing and then boom, they get mad, angry. They cannot suffer for long. That's the word for patience. That's why I wanted us to, to really, because it's really easy to be patient without actually suffering. Right? You're patiently waiting until I'm done talking so you can go about your business. Or you can patiently wait for the doctor that's taking forever to, to get you in at the doctor's appointment, but your attitude is like, why do I do this to myself? Why is this happening to me? Why me? On the inside, that's, that's how you are. That's not the kind of patience. Biblical patience is one that suffers well the way that Christ suffered. And I say, why, why did you send me down here? For these people that are going to mock me and insult me and dishonor me. Why am I down here? All they're going to do is kill me. Jesus didn't have that attitude. Or was he quickly, his impulse, he wasn't impulsive. right? So this is the even-temperedness, even and trying times. Your temper, your attitude is even. Not so volatile always. And we need that for everyone. I think that's why Paul puts it here. Be patient with everyone, he says. Who is everyone? The unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak. So when you do all of these things, when you help them, when you admonish them, when you instruct them, when you, when you try to help them, there needs to be an attitude of patience. You suffer long with them. How long is long enough? As long as it takes them to get to the point. You do it together with them. You suffer long with them. This the attitude during endurance is not resentful, but joyful. That's the difference between worldly patience, because you can be patient and resentful. I just can't wait. Yeah, you know, on the inside, you're just bubbling on the inside. You just don't sow it. You hide it. That's 
really how, if we're honest, most times when we're being patient with people, there's, there's an, a resentment that is building inside of us. Especially when, when we're trying to help them in their weakness. Or when we're trying to encourage them and that encouragement is not being received the way we want it to. Or when we're trying to put them back in line because they're stepped out of line, we're trying to discipline them and they don't do it and we're like, All right, I guess I gotta be patient, but you know, that's strike one for you. But with that, this is not the attitude of long-suffering or patience that the God prescribes for his, to his church. It's a joyful and hopeful attitude that we come to. And this is the significant difference between the way the world is patient and the way that the church is patient. We are suffering long and displaying forbearance because that is God's own attribute. That He bears with us through His Spirit. See, we're so partial to ourselves. We, we take offense to what other people, what other believers, what other Christians do against us. We completely forgot how we are to God. But in light of how God deals with us when we are weak, can you imagine every time you fell in your weakness and you sinned against God, God just sparked up his anger, which is granted, like he, he, he would be within his rights to do that. Can you imagine when every time you were so discouraged to the point where you didn't have any kind of spiritual life in you and you were kind of just lazy about the way you go about it and you acted unruly, you didn't listen to discipline of the Lord, instruction, and you just stepped out of line? Every time, he just, he was just like, all right, I'm going to get him, zap. Can you imagine? But he's not like that. Listen to what he says about himself in Exodus 34 and 6. I mentioned it earlier. Then Yahweh passed in front of him and called out. This is in front of, the, in front of um, Moses. And he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness and truth. This is how he treats us. This is how he reveals himself to us. This is the one that we know and have come to believe in. This is the God who is our Father, to whom we cry out, Abba, Father, who has given us the Spirit of his Son. That allows us to do that. So when we are being patient with everyone, we are suffering long because we are exercising God's own attribute in and through us. He is really the one that is doing that in and through us. Listen to what Peter says. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some consider slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not willing for anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the end goal. If you are dealing with someone in patience, if you're dealing with your brothers and sisters in patience, and you're being patient with them, the end goal is them to, to come to repentance. 
Because that's what God's patience is. God's patience and forbearance is for. So that you will not perish, but come to repentance. So when you encourage people, you're trying to encourage them to come to repentance. When you help people, when you help your brother and sister that, are, that is in their weakness, that's what you look forward to. Repentant, strong, encouraged. Brothers and sisters. And that's the hopefulness. And he bears this fruit. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Here's a familiar passage. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What comes after peace? Patience. Some translation says long-suffering. This is what the Spirit bears in your life. This is the evidence that you are being, you are being conforming to the image of Christ. So let's examine ourselves. See what category we are in. Once you realize where you, where you are, whether you are the unruly, whether you are the faint-hearted or the weak, or it's just all three of them, you're everyone. See to it that it is accomplished by Christ. That every prescription, the admonishment, the encouragement, the help, the patience, has been purchased and accomplished and given to you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to try to work this out so God can be pleased with you and adopt you into his family. You already are in. In spite of where you fall, Christ has accomplished your salvation. You are in Christ. You are a brother and you are a sister. And not only he has accomplished all these things and you no longer are responsible, and so to speak, or God doesn't look at you in wrath and in punishment in, in those areas of your life. You are free from those things, but you are also given the spirit that you can now do the good works of admonishing one another, of encouraging one another of helping one another and being patient. You have that in His Spirit and He bears that fruit in you. If you don't have it, ask, plead. If you have a little bit, be bold. Have courage to fulfill this duty towards one another.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may glory, honor, and praise be to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished our salvation, who has accomplished our redemption. even when we are unruly, faint-hearted, weak. He has come down from heaven, lived the life that we cannot live, accomplished the perfectness, the perfection that is needed and required from us, which we cannot achieve and paid the penalty of death for our sin, for our weakness, for our unruliness, for our faint-heartedness, which we cannot pay. Once and for all, having done that, been raised from the dead, and through whom, through through him we have the adoption into your family. So we come to you as your sons and your daughters calling to you, Abba, Father, to give us the grace and the wisdom by your spirit so that we may admonish the unruly among us with the same admonishment we receive from you by your spirit so that we may Encourage the faint-hearted by the same encouragement your spirit works in our hearts so that we may help the weak the way that your spirit helps us in our weakness. And we may be patient and long-suffering with one another, with everyone, the way that you are to bring us back to repentance and Christ-likeness. Father, if you don't do it in our lives, we cannot do it in our own strength. We ask you to do these things for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.